Welcome to The Mission Matters. The Mission Matters is a partnership between 1615 and Missio Nexus, who have a shared passion to mobilize God's people to be a part of His mission. The Mission Matters is hosted by Matthew Ellison, President of 1615, and Ted Esler, President of Missio Nexus. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Support Raising Solutions. Support Raising Solutions is a Christian ministry that serves the body of Christ around the world to provide biblical and practical training on how to raise your support and launch your ministry. They desire to flood the nations with great commission workers who are spiritually healthy, vision-driven, and fully funded. And now, here are your hosts, Matthew Ellison and Ted Esler. Welcome once again to the Mission Matters podcast. I am Matthew Ellison, and as always, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Ted Esler. Ted, it's great to see you today. Yeah, it's good to be here on the call with you today. Well, I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but we happen to be nearing the holidays right now. So our question to get us started today, just some light conversation as we always do, is what is your favorite part of the holiday meal? Is, is it the entree, like the ham, or the goose, or the turkey, whatever you eat at your house, prime rib maybe, or is it the side dishes? So what's your favorite part? Well, you're going to think this is a dodge. But what I like, it's really the combination, especially if there's cranberries on the plate, the combination of two or three of those flavors, because you don't get them any other time of the year, it seems like. And in fact, we actually did Thanksgiving early at our house because we had some kids visiting from out of state. And so this last weekend, we did the full-on turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy, cranberries, that whole business all at once. And uh, I would say it's just, it's the mixing of those things all on the plate that I love the most. I, I know that sounds like a dodge, but that's really the truth. Ted, that's a dodge, but, but I'll take it. I'll take it. So I'm going to have to say, this is a really strange one, but at my house, we had mashed potatoes, but also mashed rutabagas, you know, a root vegetable. Uh. And, uh, probably the Scandinavian roots in my family, but I love them. They're one of my favorites. No so pun intended, my... the Scandinavian roots. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've had rutabaga and uh, that's tradition you can keep to yourself there, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we got two guests on the call today and we're going to send that same softball question over to them. And we always start with that softball question. Then after that, guys, I'm going to have you introduce yourselves. So I don't know which one of you wants to go first, but same question to you two. I'll go. I think the next day with the leftovers, I'm going to go with you, Ted, with uh, that combo kind of turkey stuffing cranberry sandwich is that's that's what I look for, the leftovers. Amen. Amen. The leftovers. I agree with yeah. that. <laughs> See, and I go a completely different direction. I grew up on a small farm. We raised our own animals. And turkey is my least favorite protein in the world. And so I look forward to my sister's mashed potatoes and gravy. And then my wife makes these sweet potatoes mixed with <clears throat> sugar and cayenne pepper. So it's sweet and spicy all at the same time. That's my favorite. If I could ignore the rest and just have a big pile of that, that's where I rest. That's where I'm most happy. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, the first year we lived overseas, we lived in Croatia. 
we were in Zagreb and it was American Thanksgiving. We wanted to celebrate it and finding a turkey was pretty tough. We went all day long. Finally, we found a turkey and uh, we got it home. It was like incredibly beat up. I don't know how long it had. <laughs> Instead of killing it a normal way, it looks like they just like beat it to death. All that, that was right after Bo Riddick and Mike Tyson, I think. I can't remember who the other fighter was, but Bo Riddick got all beat up. So we call that turkey Bo Riddick. <laughs> it's one of our family stories we tell every holiday. So I love those things. Well, Brian, let's start with you. Could you tell us who you are and what you do? Yes, I'm the senior pastor at Calgary Marietta here in Southern California. And uh, I took over in 1989. So it's been 31 years as a senior pastor and uh, still love it. All right. And uh, Larry? So I'm Larry Hansen. I currently serve as the, as the missions pastor. I've attended this church for 30 years. About 16 years ago, I came on board as the director of development for the school that's attached here. And all that while I was doing member care for, for missionaries. And about four years ago, we relinquished all my other administrative duties and started focusing my job description just on missions. And so that, that's what I do now is my, my only, well, my primary focus is missions. So I, I want to tell you that right before this call, I was on a call with a leader who was basically making the case that churches are not interested in sending missionaries anymore. And uh, we had about a 35-minute discussion about that topic. And um, very interesting conversation. This is fairly significant later. You guys seem to have a different view. Tell us a little bit about your missions paradigm uh, and what, you, what you're doing at your church. You know, if I took us back to the beginning in 1980, so we came to this church in 85, and it was really, that's when it became a Calvary. In 86, we did our first trip, and we went and smuggled Bibles over into China and then went down to the Philippines. We had no clue what we were doing, uh, but we connected with a, a, a sister church that uh, basically they've done it before, and so we went with them. We went as learners, but I think it really set the forward movement for our small church. So we're probably a hundred people at that time and 10 of us went. So you got a 10th of the church leaving and then coming back and sharing the stories. And it really gave us this momentum right from the very beginning. I would just say, I don't know any different. That's just kind of what we did. And so I, and I absolutely fell in love with it, came on staff soon after that and then took over the church in 89. And so it just became this role of, and then figuring it out on the way, you know? And so that, that, that's really was our first motivator to run forward with missions. And, you know, and I, and I think for a senior pastor, a lot of it was uh, giving pulpit time. Like I'm going through the book of Acts right now. And we just keep seeing that Paul running back to Antioch and telling the ascending church, Hey, this is what we did. And this is what the Lord did. And it was just a, uh, the excitement of that, somebody sitting out there is going to want to go on the next missions trip and be involved in that. And so that's, that's where I think it's just this perpetual thing over the years of just keep bringing it to the surface for folks. Hmm. So Did I would think, oh, I'm sorry, Matt. No, Larry, you go, you go, brother. I would say the other thing is from that inception is this idea that, that Brian put out that everyone could be involved. And so uh, my original introduction to doing anything with missions is I owned a truck. And so I loaded all the suitcases and, and drove the people to the airport and dropped them off and had pizza in the airport with them. I know we can't do that anymore. But so this idea that the invitation was for everybody, it wasn't, 
it, it wasn't limited to just the few people that there was this open invitation to consider going not just short term but on a longer idea on a, on a longer trip where you would maybe extend to six months or a year or make that your lifelong commitment. So one of the things that Ted and I talk about regularly the last several years is just how essential leadership buy-in is into a missions vision if you're going to mobilize a body of believers. In fact, I think it's one of the single greatest factors. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but you're an anomaly. I mean, there's not a lot of churches. There's some but there's not a lot of churches where the senior pastor is actually leading the charge, where senior leadership is championing the mission's vision. Maybe you guys could talk about that. Why is leadership engagement in a global vision for a church so essential? You know, one of the things that first come to mind is this, this thing that we call missions isn't something that we do, it's something that we are, right? And so realizing that it's not just uh, one of our other ministries, it's the heart of God. And it, so thus it's, it needs to be part of our DNA. And so it's not an addendum, it's not something that we just uh, 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 attach to, uh, well, it's another ministry that we do. And I think that's a lot of times how it's treated, or at least how I've seen it within the churches, we have a men's ministry, we have a women's ministry, we have kids, and we have missions. And it's just another ministry that we tack on. And, and yet when you, you know, and heard from our friend Jeff Jackson that our God is a missionary God, I remember the first time hearing that through a perspectives course, it was just, wow, it's Genesis to Revelation. It's just not at the end of Matthew, right? And, and you just see it every, weave through all of scripture. It's the heart of God, and we need to jump in on that. The other thing that I see, you know, Matthew, when you're talking about leadership, the idea that in the beginning, Brian would go on some short-term trips and invite lay leaders. And so I, I think that um, once, once Brian and other pastors invited some other lay leaders to go on the, on, the, on the trips and travel with them, we got this exposure and this idea how important it was that one of those other leaders would say, hey, come alongside us. You know, we talk about, you know, discipleship. That was real discipleship where one of the other leaders would say, hey, why don't you go and participate on this trip with us? Why don't you go to this nation or this country? Or they may have identified someone in our uh, not just uh, staff leadership, but those other folks that are leaders in the church that had a specific skill set and said, hey, will you come alongside as an accountant, as a nurse, as a doctor, as a contractor, as a welder? Can you come alongside? We're going to go as learners and we're going to participate with uh, nationals in another nation, but that it, it created this enthusiasm. And so when you talk about leadership buy-in, it isn't just, uh, so being in a, in a second or an assistant position, when I look at the way Brian led, he allowed me to do the same thing and allowed the other staff people to do the same. And then as we developed leaders to lead teams, those leaders then had that same example to follow. And it, it creates this excitement and this enthusiasm of living in community and inclusion that people want to be on that same, you know, plow those same fields with us. So when I, when I talk with churches, especially if they're not very engaged in mission, I often hear that the mission program is somehow in competition with other things going on in the church. Budget dollars is particularly mentioned. Um, <clears throat> doesn't seem to be the case here. Why do you think it's different in your church than in others where I kind of see this kind of competition among departments? 
you know, I don't know how all the different churches did it, but again, it was something in the very beginning, uh, the pastor that had started this church said that we as a church should tithe 10% and should go to missions. Now, I don't think we did it all right in the beginning in that way, but again, I, I think it was one of those kind of foundational things where we took that, and we've done different things over the last 30 years. Uh, we, we started at the 10%. One time we got up to 18%. Uh, you know, we had a crash in 2008, it came down a little bit. And so, you know, it's been all over the place. But I think there was a key from the beginning that there would be a percentage uh, set aside, and especially the statistics that we read that we spend here in the United States, at least 97, 98% on us, you know, right? And, and maybe two to 3% ends up going out. And we just thought, okay, that's wrong. You know, we, we need to, we need to fix that. And so to be able to start with something, even as we encourage people to, to tithe themselves, we wanted to do it the same for us and tithing back to our world. So that was a, a con first kind of concept that came to mind where we're going to make sure this is set aside for that. Yeah. One of the questions I want to address is it's a difficult one. And Brian, when I asked you to do this podcast, you actually paused, you hesitated because you didn't want to come across as the pastor that figured it out. And that's exactly why we're glad you did it. Um, I, I appreciate your heart in this. I think it's essential. But what is behind the lack of engagement? Let's just address it directly. Why do you think so many pastors are not engaged? And again, you are the exception to the rule in terms of leading the missions vision charge. What, what do you suppose is behind the lack of engagement? You know, what I've, I guess I've seen as I talk to other senior pastors, because I, I love using that opportunity to kind of spur that on. But uh, we're all, as senior pastors, we're all very busy. And I think maybe it's settling for the good instead of the best. You know, again, we get caught up doing something. We find a ministry, we find something. And I, I think it goes back to, again, if it's not part of our DNA, we're going to treat it as just another ministry, if that makes sense. And so I have one quick story. I was sitting with a group of senior pastors. It was a luncheon and uh, sat next to a pastor. And I forget what he had said. Uh, yeah, I don't do missions. It was something like that. And to me, it was offensive. It was appalling. And uh, I engaged him. We talked the whole entire lunch over that. And I found myself trying to convince him, this is just go on one missions trip. Like, go go taste it. You got to taste it and see it yourself. And I, I felt it fell on deaf ears. I met him a year later, and I really didn't know him that well. I've seen his face. I a year later, he came up to me. and He says, remember that conversation we had? He says, I went on my first missions trip. And then he went into this whole story of how it's revitalizing, just changing his church. And that just, that, that just made me so excited. But I think we either put it on the back burner. We have other things that we're busy about. And uh, I think we just maybe just get distracted with other good things and forget it should be one of our main things. That's my, that's would be my quick take on that. How do you guys, can you describe what kinds of ministries you're invested in? I don't just mean financially, but I mean people or whatever, whatever kind of investment you're making. What, what's kind of your portfolio of, of ministries? You don't have to name countries, but what, what are you guys doing? Okay, so are you uh, church-wise or, or what we would say under missions? Uh, I would say what, whichever way you want to take that, how, how, how okay. you conceive it. Okay, so I'll, I'll start really from, uh, from the, the missions aspect. So we really, we, we kind of have what we would call two categories. And one we would define as pioneer missions, which is directed at two very specific uh, people groups. 
because we're going to be online here, I'm not going to mention those two people groups, but we'll say they're both in Asia. Um, and, and our desire there is, is to see these unreached people groups reached. And so the way we've developed that out is we have several partners that we work with in the field. And, and we are currently in the process of sending two of our own that should be there um, in those countries starting in, uh, one should be there in February and depend on what COVID's doing, another should be there um, after the first of the year. And so that, um, and that engagement looks, uh, is in the forefront of conversation. And so once a month, we talk about that from the, from the pulpit and recognize a kind of a special recognition there. Um, and so, and then our other, our other missionaries fall under a, a, an equal category that we call Calvary Murrieta missionaries. And we've been supporting some of those for over 25 years. And some of that looks like, uh, looks like church planting. Some of that looks like humanitarian aid. Some of that looks like development. And so our, I'm sure most people or many people listening to this have read When Helping Hurts. And we lean that direction when we go in to help folks that we want to come and be a hand up and, and don't want people to, to rely on, on the Western church. And so we participate in many ways, helping develop families to be able to be sustainable. And our idea is that we would help develop sustainable churches in these um, outermost regions. And if I can piggyback on that, you know, we've, we've uh you know helped out a number of different missions organizations missionaries all around and we we still celebrate those we discussed this with matt uh let me back up ted and say you know we invited uh, matt to come out and he really coached us through this process where we saw ourselves kind of doing the shotgun approach and how do we make it more kind of rifle and centered on that but we instead of just only on those two our, our pioneer missions we still celebrate our other missionaries and, and who they are and what they're doing and as being awesome things. But we really let our church know. Matter of fact, we took four Sunday mornings to do this when we, I think we worked on it for a, a year and a half with Matt and uh, flying him out and just really coached us and walked us through it. And, uh, and so the rollout for about four different weeks of really wanting the whole body to get behind it and saying that every, even the children, everybody else can be a part. And so anytime we, uh, we, we celebrate it to the body of what's happening. We just had something really special. Uh, we work with a, uh, uh, one of the groups as a Muslim group. And, uh, and so we thought maybe 10, 20 years down the line before we even talk with them about Jesus. Right now, we're just trying to get one member of each family working and so they can feed themselves. And so that's what we've been working on. And we've only been doing this for one year since we've met them. And we got, we got uh, poultry farms, we have the widows uh, doing carpet, and it's everything that they want to do. We're not coming up with them. It's what I want to be trained in this. We train them. We take care of their family during that six months of training time, and then they're on their own kind of thing. We're doing it for every one of the families that we're working with. And so with that, it's just developed this great friendship. And with that, literally within a month or two ago, so less than a year time period, they're asking. We have a Christian worker on the ground over there. He's a, a pastor that just loves them incredibly but has never forced anything on them. And they have now asked for, the leaders sat down and asked him for an audio Bible, because they don't have a Bible in their language, an audio Bible for every leader of every, every household there. And so we thought this would be something maybe 20 years down the line. We were so excited and stoked about that. So fun. Love it. And you talk about being stoked and 
I think one of the things that maybe senior pastors that are not, not engaging in missions as champions think about is um, that the, they don't think about rather is the life and the vitality that a global engagement will bring to your, ter- your church. Um, you use the word stoked. David Penman said no local church can afford to go without the nourishment and encouragement that will come to it by engaging in God's global mission. Maybe you could talk about the impact that this has had on your people, the flock there. How has this changed them? Hey, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and one of the things that we talked about, one of our goals was to have 100% participation. So we wanted everybody in our church to, to play a small part in what's going on, uh, especially in these unreached people groups. And so uh, one of the simple things that we did is we asked children's ministry to, to gather marbles because in one of the regions that we, that we serve in, um, the children play marbles in these, in these refugee camps. And so this idea that, that even the children could be involved. And so in, instead of just um, the adults, but we had everybody involved. Recently with that example that Brian just talked about, that ask, that was a, I'm just going to say it was a $4,000 need to get those Bibles printed as well as the, the audio done. And so instead of taking it out of our missions budget, we, we simply go before the church and say, hey, do you guys want to participate? Here's the exciting thing. We gave a dollar value of how much it would cost for one um, and then the total number that we needed. And we, we, had, we had some people that are, I, I would say, economically challenged. And they were able to come and sponsor one Bible. Awesome. We had that came and wrote a thousand dollar check, but this expanse of everybody knowing that they could play a part. And it it's exciting to stand in the back when someone says, Hey, can I do one thing? And we can say, Absolutely, you can. Yeah. So that engagement and to be able to share a story with everybody is just super exciting. Ted, if I could share if I could share one more, this uh, I had a I had a friend from church leave a year ago completely mad at me he was he was done hearing about these people from far far away that we were sending hundreds and even thousand dollars to you know to to set up these poultry farms and stuff and we didn't take care of him in the time of his need now that's we'll set that aside we did but he didn't feel we did and left and was ticked he was mad he calls me out of the blue a year later. He texts me out of the blue and says, I want to come back to church. And I said, well, I never asked you to leave. So he comes back. And it was that next week where we were, where we were doing that. And he walked up to me afterwards. And again, he was mad at that group far away. At, Why don't we take care of people here kind of, kind of thing. Anyways, he handed me $14. And I didn't know what he was doing. And he says, do you know what that's for? And I said, no. He says, I want you to know that our relationship, I'm buying one of those Bibles for one of them over there. So you don't think I have any issue against them and we're all good. And it just so warmed my soul. Uh, we've become really close friends again and stuff. And we've, we've fixed our you know, things of the past, but that's how it touches a church. You know, that's just one little story, but that just blessed my heart. I'd be curious to ask you kind of a specific question. How much time as a senior pastor does this take out of your schedule every year? Did you ask how often should we or do I personally? (laughs) Well, one of the things that I hear is, especially in larger churches, and we actually haven't described your church size, but in larger churches, senior pastors basically say, I got staff that does that, I don't get involved. Mm. 
I, I guess, again, it goes back to my beginning. Uh, after that first trip, me and my wife were praying about moving to the Philippines after that very first one. We had a couple of toddlers at the time. They're grown now. But at that time, I was kind of mentally gearing up to go to the field. And that's when my pastor decided to leave and asked me to take over the church. And I was excited and bummed at the same time. And I remember sitting with the Lord saying, I thought I was, I thought I was going to be used in missions. And I really felt, you know, one of those few times where you just hear God speak. And I really felt him say, Brian, I'm going to use you in missions. Mm. I didn't know what that meant. I was bummed not to go. So that's always in the back of my mind of want, you know, so badly wanting to go with that way. And so I do about four trips a year. And to me, I've heard it so many times in the body. When I come back and share stories, I'm an amateur photographer. I love photography though. And so I bring back and I show the faces. I love the children. I love the elderly. And so that's a lot of my pictures are the, hey, you know, telling a story about them. And they, they always say, I always, my compliment back from folks is you always just come back with your, your, your tank just filled when you come back from the mission field. So they see that. They want me to go because they know I come back stories it's fun it's adventure it's you know this is what god is doing in these different places and so uh for me i've i've been comfortable three to five times a year just with scheduling and all of that but to me i again i think it sets precedence i think it's it's an example um i want to go and serve uh one of the things that we were talking about also that uh probably the first 10 years i needed to go speak i need to go teach somewhere and do that and now I just love, I do balloon animals. I love just going doing balloon out. I don't care where I am and doing that. The photography, balloon animals, I like to go teach. I don't need to go speak to a big crowd. I'm, I'm beyond that. I want to go relationship building and see what God's going to do from there, you know. So, so I got to ask you, what, what do you shoot? What kind of camera do you use? I use a Canon uh, 5D Mark IV. Okay. All right. yeah, I'm all in it. on micro four thirds for travel. And I'm really Oh, nice. Nice. So. Is that one of the yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm being tempted towards going that route, but uh, for travel, you just can't beat it. It's great. Oh, hey, Jed, can I can I comment on that? Yeah, please. So here, here's the thing. Um, so when when what Brian just described, I would I would just say for us watching that example, he may miss four Sundays a year, maybe five at the most. Okay. Um, which does a great thing. It gives a great opportunity for the church body to meet some of the other church leaders here. And sometimes it's some of our young guys that are in our, in our youth department that, that are getting this opportunity that we see as the future of the church, right? And so it gives this opportunity for relationship building with, with the church, with our other church leaders. The other thing is just to talk about time commitment. For us, we have a small group, a small missions board uh, that we, we meet maybe quarterly. And then Brian and I will, will, through email, help to make some of the decisions on who we're going to support financially. Because we have a pretty clear budget right now, it's easier to make a lot of those decisions. Um, and because we have a really defined mission vision, we actually know the direction we're going. And so when, when the senior pastor's wondering how much time, Brian talked about travel, but I also want to be respectful of those pastors that are wondering, is this weekly hours? Is this monthly hours? Is this late nights? And the answer is for us, no, it's not that because it's, it's structured in a way that it's clearly defined and it's limited 
or made those those hours a lot less. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get practical here. There's a quote from George Murray that I'm going to surface, and then I'm going to ask you both a question here. But George Murray says, when it comes to missions in the church, the senior pastor either holds the key to the front door or the padlock. You get the idea here. So what are some practical ways that we can crack the code of pastoral engagement in missions, Brian and Larry? You know, you mentioned that this was part of your DNA from the beginning, but you also touched on some watershed moments like perspective. You heard that teaching, the living God is a missionary God. What are some practical ways that we can crack the code and get more pastors that are leading the charge like you, Brian? And Larry, I want you to speak to that too. You know, a, a couple things come to mind. One would be for the senior pastor to, to pray and find out what God would put upon his heart to do in missions, starting with that place. Secondly, I would think of uh, that, that, that part of education. Uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, our movement didn't seem to be doing a whole lot in missions, or it might have just been my ignorance, but I didn't care. I went to Baptist convention. I went to so many different things. I thought Baptists, they, they've been doing the, uh, the missions thing for a few hundred years. They got to get it figured out. So I started doing conferences. Uh, we not, not only went to perspectives, but we, uh, we had it here at our church, and we've had a few hundred people go through that. And so that helps that way. I've always been an encourager of getting uh, the youth be able to go out and get a taste of missions out on the field. I always say my goal is that the people in our body wouldn't think of missionaries as a postcard on a refrigerator. That is more than that. I wanted my kids to grow up with our missionaries over having dinner with us and getting their real people that live in real places and are my real heroes and and with that, so with not only my own kids, but the kids within our church. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's just taking, you don't have to know everything. And so, but again, if we could just be learners and find somebody that does it well, maybe a, just a, a senior pastor friend that, hey, I know they're about missions, go sit down and talk with them and at least start somewhere of getting educated on that so you can move forward doing something with that. And then God will just lead you down the line of what he wants you, you and your church to do is what I would say to a senior pastor. You know, you've talked about a couple of things that I think are pretty basic. You talked about the influence of short-term mission. You've talked about the idea that the whole church needs to be involved. It's not just for, you know, a, set, a certain small group. You talk about the perspectives movement. And uh, the, personally, that's how I got my call on the missions. I took a perspectives course in 1988 in Minneapolis. In fact, um, I always like to tell people, brag a little bit, that my very first perspectives session, I had this unknown Baptist pastor named John Piper leading the session. Interesting. And uh, that was the hook. And uh, it's, it's just, it's encouraging to hear that, you know, this stuff is, in anybody's reach uh, to, to influence in this area. So it's very encouraging to hear your story as a church. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Matthew, um, on, the, on the practical side, um, what I really like to, to express is, is some simple things. This idea of the importance of prayer. And so I would just say, if, if you're an assistant pastor, if you're the missions pastor and, and you're, you're senior pastor, who's making those decisions, if you feel like he has the padlock and, and, and it's not unlocked, I would say that the most important thing is to start with that idea of prayer and come, come to that leader 
in humility and say, hey, I, I, would, I would like to move in some direction. And the idea then it would be, be prepared to share story, like what is going on around in the world and what is moving your heart so that the, the, that, that senior pastor could be, could, could be connected to it. I think what happens a lot of times is we sitting in that, I'm going to say second or third position, however you want to look at it, not in that, that leadership position. We're looking at that person thinking they've already made their decision. They've already said no. They already have enough good things going on. But what I'd like to encourage folks to do is to be able to, to present, hey, look what happened in this country. You know, um, is there a, a Bible translation story? Is there something going on that, that you could share to unlock the heart of, of those leaders to help them make that decision? I think sometimes we come with our own agenda and we come instead of in humility, instead of this partnership or community, we come almost too forceful instead of saying, hey, this is what God's doing and I'd like to be part of it. And can we pray and can we think about making a move forward and allowing whatever that time frame is? Um, I mean, as Brian talked about, what, what year did you come to this church? 85. 85. And so, you know, this idea that our missions department or program has changed over the years with leadership, with different leaders, we've gone different directions. We've made some really brilliant mistakes and some really brilliant things that have glorified God. But um, so I would just say for that person wanting that practical stuff, the other thing is, I think for, for some education, we've all mentioned perspectives and I, all of us uh, here love that. But I would say, you know, that's a thick book and a college course. And if that intimidates you, there's some other ways to get some education and to go to some conferences. Brian brought us to conferences that were in our own community, brought us to conferences outside our own community, trans, you know, went out of state and out of country to get some of that training. And that's the other thing I would say on the practical side, prayer, humility, story, education. And then if you're, if you want to take that next step, there are so many agencies and organizations, if you're not prepared that you can ask, I mean, your organization yourself and with, with Matthew to simply ask those guys, Hey, who do you recommend that's in my area that can help me move that next step? That would be the other thing. Instead of trying to try to move the yardstick, you know, all 36 inches, I would ask, can you go just incrementally and let that, let those senior leaders move along in a process that they're not feeling threatened or pressured. That's good. You know, Larry, I got to jump in on that one real quick. I, I know there's a lot of cranky, frustrated missions, passionate people. <laughs> and the holy discontent and they're wondering why the senior leader can't see this you know how come they can't see this and they forget that they too went through a process and a journey of understanding this and here's what i would say to those folks maybe ted you can speak to this too the, the contextualization skills that we use in field whether it's a short-term trip or we're full-time missionaries right listening empathy seeking to understand Use some of those skills when you're talking to your senior pastor and trying to get him, you know, yes. interested in missions. Be winsome. You know, don't be off-putting. So contextualize your message considering where he's at and what he's facing. No, I agree with that. I do think there's kind of a little bit of a caricature of the missionary who comes in and they're angry and talking. Yeah, it just doesn't have to be that way. I don't, you know, yeah, I agree. Good point. Yeah. Hey, listen, this has been a great conversation, Brian and Larry. Um, wow, I, I thank God for you guys. I've said this before. Walking alongside you has been 
a joy for me watching your heart enlarge, you know, building on the past, but seeing where you're going now. And we can't mention those people groups, but, you know, I, I believe they'll be part of my heavenly inheritance. You know, I've not visited those places because I had a stake in it. And that's true of everyone in your body. Brian, Larry, and Ted, you know, this is the time in the show where I ask you about something you like. Yes. And today, my something is more of a who. I really like this author. His name is Wayne Meeks. This is, these are, I don't know, he hasn't written a lot in the last few years, at least that I'm aware of. But this book here, it's called The First Urban Christians. And it is one of the best resources I know about for blowing away your assumptions about what the first century church was like. And um, I'll just give you an example. He's got a whole chapter in here on was the first century church poor or was it middle class? And I think we approach the New Testament thinking that the early church was poor. And he gives a very alternate view of that. But that's just one thing. There's things in here about vocation. Uh, there's things in here about uh, rituals and rites. I have another one of his books called The Moral World of the First Christians. And it talks about the environment morally that they grew up in. Anyway, anything I've ever read by Wayne Meeks is very helpful to get a grasp of what it was like in the first century for the first century church. So that's what I like this time around. Great. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Again, Ryan, Larry, thank you, Ted. We'll see you again soon. Blessings, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Before you go, would you visit our host's websites? There you will find a wealth of interesting and challenging information about the state of the Great Commission. They are 1615.org and missionexus.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss one. Thanks again to our sponsor, Support Raising Solutions. Make sure to check out their website at supportraisingsolutions.org. The Mission Matters is presented through a partnership between 1615 Missions Coaching and Missio Nexus.